It takes more than memorizing Jira hotkeys to be a great software engineer. This is episode 118 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer your questions about all the non-technical things that go into software development. I guess Jira is, I don't know, is technical and non-technical. Ooh, yeah. So we, we could Wait. technically pivot to become a Jira podcast. Well, no one has ever written in to ask, what's the best issue tracker? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, what a huge we know oversight. the answer, and we'll tell you as soon as you ask us. <laughs> yeah, we're, we, are with, we are holding it hostage. Yeah. Dave, do you want to talk about our wonderful patrons? Thank you, patrons. We love you for supporting the show at the level that gets you a shout-out every week. Those people are Nick Cantar, Dimitro Andionilla, David Jackson, Ken Howard, Sean Clayton, and Dustin Coates. If you'd like to support the show financially, we would very much appreciate it to be able to pay our ever-growing costs to pay the mob to let us stay on the air of uh, protection money. (laughs) My Beanie Baby collection is not cheap to maintain. (laughs) That's true. Those are getting old now. (laughs) Well, yeah, the cost of maintaining them is increasing. Yeah. It's hard to find good Beanie Baby butlers. (laughs) And each one needs their own. They all have different preferences. Oh it's not cheap. <laughs> if you would like to support Jameson's very healthy Beanie Baby obsession, go to softskill. <laughs> wait, go to softskills.audio and click support the show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. We also love you even if you don't support at the level that gives a shout out every week. Thank you so much to everybody supporting the show and to the listeners, too. You're supporting the show in a different way. Yeah. I also have a, a pitch to make to you. We haven't really done this before, but I'm going to use this platform for my own indirect personal gain. I manage a team at Walmart Labs, and we are hiring. We're hiring a backend developer to build mostly APIs, mostly in Go. And it's uh, these APIs basically control a lot of performance tooling. Pretty much every request that goes through Walmart e-commerce properties goes through systems that these APIs configure and that that my team helps configure. So you get to see a little bit of everything inside the company. It's all remote, which is also very cool. The whole team is distributed. My team and the teams that we work with, though US time zones only. And I also really try and practice what I talk about on the show in how I manage the team. So it's your chance to see if I'm a gigantic hypocrite or not. (laughs) See the truth. (laughs) Come find out if Jameson is actually a monster. Yeah. You know, I actually think this sounds cool. I'm not just saying that because you're my podcasting partner, but I actually have one of my career goals is to build an API and go. Well, I'll tell you all about it. We also welcome diverse candidates. If you're interested, you can send me an email at jameson.dance at walmartlabs.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. Just my name, J-A-M-I-S-O-N dot D-A-N-C-E at walmartlabs.com. I hope to hear from you. Awesome. All right, pitch over. On to the questions. Uh, Should I read the first one? Please. Okay, this comes from a listener named Louie who says, Thanks to your podcast, I got the courage to apply to other jobs after working at a place for four years. This led to a new job with a 126% salary increase. Oh my goodness. (laughs) What? (laughs) In a job I love even more than my last position. Wow. Okay. I hope this isn't just a case of mistaken decimal points. (laughs) (laughs) Software is so weird. (laughs) Yes. It's such a weird thing. Moving on. The only problem with this new job is that the code base is huge with no documentation or comments. And I am just one of two developers. When I get a task, most of my time is spent looking through thousands of lines of code 
uncommented and undocumented, trying to figure out how that existing part of the system works and document what I find. I occasionally ask my supervisor for help understanding the system. Sometimes his answers bring up more questions, and it's starting to feed into a newly found imposter syndrome. I don't want to seem incompetent by always having my supervisor walk me through things, but I also don't want to seem useless. My question is, what is the right balance between asking for help and figuring things out on my own? How do I know when it's time to ask questions or when it's time to spend more time drilling down into the code? What a good question. Oh, yeah. What a good problem to have, too. I more than doubled my salary. <laughs> now <laughs> now I have this problem at work. Have you, I mean, yeah, spend some money on it. Hire a, hire a subcontractor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just saw I stole your thunder, Dave. <laughs> that was one of the comments you wrote down to talk about. I didn't read it. I just, we just think alike. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we have shared notes and Jameson just accidentally cheated off my notes. I did. Accidentally. Well, I have nothing else to offer. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's the Jameson show now. <laughs> we all know I'm just the laugh track anyway. My Machiavellian plan to take over is complete. Let Dave write notes. Read the notes. Shut him up. <laughs> I think this is this feels like the default state of programming. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone into a new code base and felt that it was impressively well documented or easy to understand. There's definitely variances in, in how convoluted it is, but nobody has time to write good documentation. I think that's the exception, not the rule. So the good news is I don't think you're experiencing anything weirdly painful or bad beyond the norm. I also think that that probably affects the expectations that people have for you where I don't, I don't think there's some secret standard they're measuring you against and saying, boy, Louis sure asks too many questions and, and doesn't <laughs> crank out new features. If, if it's old and gigantic, they're used to seeing how productive people are on <laughs> it and how long it takes to make changes. So, Oh, good point. Well, hopefully they are. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's why they have to pay people so much money. Ooh. <laughs> you just peeled back the curtain. Look, Louie, yeah. we're willing to give you a 126% raise. And don't worry, the code base is great. <laughs> we have very reasonable expectations. <laughs> maybe maybe hmm. they gave you a 126% raise because they expect you to just spend 126% more time. <laughs> yeah. I think there are two questions here, though. One is about specifically the, the question asking thing, but I feel like there's another question about just how do you work in these big, hard to understand, hard to work in systems. Mm -hmm. But maybe we should talk about the question. Yeah, I, I think we should focus on that. We could probably do a whole episode on how to work in a big code base, but that's borderline technical. <laughs> it's maybe a little bit. No, it's all soft skills because you just convince other people to do the work for you. <laughs> and then it's not technical at all. <laughs> just got to get some leverage over them. That's a soft skill. <laughs> How to leverage your coworkers into doing the stuff you hate. <laughs> All right. So questions. Uh, so buried in here was a comment about imposter syndrome. And I can understand why you would feel that way because you're like, oh, I was hired to do this job. But every time I try to do a thing, I have to go ask for help doing the thing. And that mm -hmm. feels bad. 
But the reason it feels bad is because you have some kind of expectations for what your job should look like and you feel like you're not meeting those expectations. The problem is you don't know what your supervisor's expectations actually are. So I think you should have a frank discussion with your supervisor where you say, I feel like I'm spending too much time asking you questions. Um, how do you feel? Like, I'm, well, how is my time being spent? Do you feel like I'm spending too much, not enough? Or what, you know, and just get it out in the open and see how your supervisor responds. Sure. That seems very reasonable to me. It's it's possible that your supervisor thinks you're not asking enough questions too. That you're spending too much time on your own, getting stuck where where mm-hmm. they know something that could just unblock you a little bit. But it's also possible that it's the other way around. Or it's possible it's just fine. Another possibility is that They like the volume of questions you're asking, but maybe you're coming at bad times. Maybe they're annoyed with how you ask your questions. And so maybe you you need to come up with an arrangement that is sustainable, like where you can say, hey, every day at 2 p.m., I'm going to take half an hour of your time. I'm going to batch up all my questions and we can spend 30 minutes. uh, And that'll be the only time you have to hear from me. And then otherwise I'll be digging in. And if I ever get blocked, I'll go down another pathway until I get blocked there. And I'll just queue up these blockages and I'll bring them to you all at once so that you don't get constantly interrupted. You know, something like that. Yeah, I, I think I've talked about this before, but I worked with a really, really, really good developer who had that approach. Every week we had a meeting where she just had all the questions that she batched up th- throughout the week that were not kind of urgent things. And we just talked through them all. And it was really effective. And it also was really easy for me. It didn't take, it, all it took was that hour of time. And I was happy to do it. Um, and And it helped her. I don't know. You always just run across weird stuff as you go through a code base and, and yeah. understanding that weird stuff is one way to understand the the deep system that you're working in. I also think questions can be front loaded, especially when you come into a new job and it can feel worse than it is because all you have are questions at the beginning and, <laughs> yeah. and you slowly realize that you know more and more and you can answer more of those questions, but it's hard to notice that when you're in the moment. So some of it could just be kind of that expectation for yourself of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it works. So I'll need to ask some questions. I used to feel like I should be able to figure anything out by myself with no help. And I still feel like that's a, I don't know, part of me thinks like that's an ideal to strive for, but I've also realized that there's efficiencies that come through asking people that know stuff and i probably could figure it out given an infinite amount of time just like infinite monkeys on infinite typewriters can write shakespeare (laughs) but at some point 10 minutes of someone's time is worth infinity of my time (laughs) especially if i'm going to do something that would have that would break stuff because i don't know the answer to my question um not just get a task done or not but like break existing stuff so that mindset has helped me ask more questions. I still, I, I feel like I get you, Louis, because I still feel bad sometimes when I ask questions, but I, I push through it because I think like, well, I don't know. It's better than the alternative. <laughs> they don't want me to, it's like I'm, a, I'm, I'm threatening them. Like you wouldn't want, it's a nice working system you got there. <laughs> It'd be a shame if something happened to it because I didn't ask a question, huh? Yeah. I also feel like there's different kinds of questions that merit more and less time spent with coworkers asking. So, for example, asking things that are inherently unique to this customer or to this company or code base are completely inbound. I think for uh, asking your coworkers. For example, 
saying like, what is the design or the architecture that influenced this particular pattern? Or like, what what is the, the legacy of this system? Why is it built this way? Those, those kinds of questions, I think there's no other way to get that information. No amount of reading the code will get it for you. Um, but then questions that are more uh, shared across companies, I think, are things that A, you're more likely to find if you research uh, on the internet, and B, are things that you should probably get used to answering on your own as a developer. For example, when the build breaks uh, in some way that's uh, a quirk about your language that you're using, you should not ask your coworkers that question because there's probably good results on Google. Um, I remember when I was starting my first job at C++ and compiler errors were easy to handle, but linker errors were just a nightmare, right? Like tracking down why you, the linker couldn't find a symbol in some random you know, library that it was looking for, I, a huge pain in the butt. But I remember I muscled through that so many times that I finally started to develop uh, techniques for um, dealing with that. And I didn't have to go to my coworkers. And it was good because that knowledge is transferable to any job that uses C++. But yeah. when it came to questions of like, why does this module interact with this other module that are both unique to this company in this way? Who else is going to answer those questions? Yeah. It's also very possible that no one will know the answer to those questions <laughs> if it just kind of <laughs> happened organically over time. Especially if, if it, it was created built. <laughs> rather than was designed. Yeah. Especially if it was built by a contractor six years ago who's no longer around. Yeah. Yeah. There's also another layer of learning that can go in here, which is how how could I have known or found out the answer to this question? And and sometimes the answer might be there's no way besides asking. But if you ask that often enough when you ask questions, you might begin to figure out, oh, there's this, I don't know, maybe there's some cool Unix tool that I didn't know about that would let me analyze traffic and see how these systems interacted. Or um, so, so instead of just getting the knowledge, figure out like how, how could you have gotten that knowledge more efficiently? And then uh, I think that'll that'll compound and, and make you more able to answer questions on your own as well. All right. Yeah. Also, just rewrite it. <laughs> Problem solved. Then they come ask you questions. <laughs> All right. Have we answered the question? Uh, Speaking yeah. Of I think so. Good luck. A lot. And, uh, you know, if you ever feel too bad and the imposter syndrome gets really bad, just, you know, go to your bank account, which is now enormous. And <laughs> withdraw a whole bunch of money and just swim in it or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that could make the imposter syndrome worse, though. Oh, we good can point. talk talk more about that. Do yeah. I really deserve it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe you should just donate like all of your money to charity or something, and then you won't have imposter syndrome anymore. All right, I think it's time for a different <laughs> adv- advice <laughs> for for a different question. <laughs> okay, I will read it. This is from an anonymous listener. I really love your podcasts. You just present real-life situations and ways to navigate them that are so enjoyable and funny. They really motivate me in trying to improve my soft skills. I've been at my first job a couple of years. Oh, thank you, first of all. That's a very nice compliment. Yeah, thank you. I've been at my first job for a couple of years now, and I'm very quiet in the workplace and still find it hard to open up, be assertive, and speak up in meetings. When I try and go out of my comfort zone, such as arguing about technical decisions or setting up and driving meetings, I don't think my manager appreciates my efforts. I am told that I need to voice my opinions more and have more of a two-way conversation. I feel I'm not given concrete chances to improve, and it's very demotivating. How should I deal with situations like this? Hmm. Tough one. Yeah. Hmm. I just want to hear all the smart stuff you're going to say, Dave. I know. I'm just like, I'm, I'm slowly thinking over this situation a little more because this is not 
by any means the first person who has said to me, uh, I have trouble speaking up in meetings. Um, I actually think it's pretty common for engineers, especially engineers who are newer to the job. Um, and by job, oh, yeah. I mean like career-wise. You know, this is a person who's a couple years into their career uh, at their first job. But having been there for two years, it's probably time to start making contributions like this. But still, you feel unsure of yourself, right? So, I mean, one solution I would propose is um, maybe just be louder. Get like a megaphone or something and just, you know, you, you could whisper into it, but it would still be really loud. <laughs> yeah. Augmented humanity. <laughs> be a cyborg. Maybe implant something in your vocal cords that just that just. You could also do a cool like Batman type of voice. Change your thing. <laughs> People seem to respect that fellow quite a bit. <laughs> they always do what he says. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, they do. Yeah, have you tried being a billionaire that beats people up? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Huh. I've been this person, and I've also heard this feedback, and I've given this feedback to other people. Wow. Well, I don't know. Not not this exact feedback. There's something weird going on here where it says, I need to voice my opinions more and have more of a two-way conversation, and those almost feel contradictory to me. Mm-hmm. Voice my opinions more seems pretty clear. Speak up more. Express what you think more. Have more of a two-way conversation feels like speak up less. Like maybe maybe you're steamrolling people a little bit, or there's not a back and forth or a debate, which feels that's weird. Yeah, that's they seem conflicting to me. Yeah, um, me too. I can see why that would be demotivating. So very quietly tell your manager your advice is confusing, and I don't know how to follow <laughs> it. But put a megaphone up there so they hear it. One of the techniques that I use in group dynamic situations like this is. Uh, I try to use questions more than assertions. And uh, sometimes I ask questions to make a point, but usually it's just to fulfill my own curiosity. And it's because when I hear someone say something, I just want to fully understand what they've said. And so I'll ask questions about it. You know, like, did you mean this? Did you mean that? Um, What about this? Or or can you explain this a little more to me? I'm not quite sure I understand. and this, this serves two purposes. The first I already mentioned, which is to fulfill my own curiosity, but it also makes it clear to the other people that you are understanding them. And it really helps, I think, facilitate two-way conversations like you've been given advice to have because um, the, the key, in my opinion, to a two-way conversation is to make sure that the other party knows that you're listening and that you understood what they said. Hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. I like that. I think I've been in meetings where people ask questions that explicitly state, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And those are received differently than questions that reveal that they don't understand. Oh, like they use the wrong terms or something? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels scarier sometimes to just say, I don't know what that means, the thing you just said, mm-hmm. versus say like, well if we did these things and kind of try and try and work through something by asking a question, it seems like it's usually people are, people are much more willing to explain when you explicitly say, what does this mean? Versus when you say something that reveals, you don't know what it means. Mm. There's something weird that goes on in people's heads where they think like this person doesn't know and it's bad instead of like this person is curious to know. Like you said, Dave. Yes. I have experienced that. It's like a short circuit where you're like, Oh, 
Now what do I say? Because they they now have misunderstanding. And that actually puts me, like let's say that, Jameson, you asked me a question that reveals that you have a a knowledge gap about something. Now it puts me in this awkward situation. Do I tell Jameson that he misunderstands something? So like what kind of trees do the computers come from? (laughs) Yeah, see now now I have to say, Jameson, (laughs) computers come from eggs. Uh, Okay. Platypus or like a <laughs> reptile <laughs> or bird, I guess. Exactly. See, and, <laughs> and there, we just role played a perfect <laughs> situation <laughs> that you can emulate. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I, I've been scared to admit I don't know a thing. And sometimes I I don't, and then I still just don't know it and hope it never comes up again (laughs) or that I'll kind of pick it up through osmosis or context. I've found in situations where I explicitly say, I don't know this, I end up learning it more quickly and have to have it repeated to me fewer times than when I am worried about admitting that I don't know it and I'm trying to like secretly investigate it in a way that's that's a different thing though that's that's not quite stating your opinions yeah true but i feel like that's a prerequisite for me i feel like i have to understand it enough to state an opinion otherwise my opinion is worthless to be fair i I don't want to just jump in and say like well have you thought about using oak for your computer trees like (laughs) to be fair there are people who don't exercise the constraint you just described, and they're happy to jump in with an opinion despite not having a complete understanding. And those people yeah. are immensely annoying, right? I mean, that yeah, is so counterproductive and frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, somebody has to kind of wrangle them and then and then say, here's the context you miss and kind of do that job for them. But so, so what if you have done the work, you feel like you understand it, you have an opinion, maybe it's different than the group or different than the more experienced people. How do you express it? I, I think I have a, a little technique for that too. And I think a good way to do that is to introduce your opinion um, gently by instead of just dropping it as a bombshell, like I have a different opinion. You can, or sorry, no, that, ignore that. <laughs> instead of saying, I think we should use oak for our computer trees. You can say, I've heard the group's opinion and I would like to offer a counter opinion I'm not married to this opinion, and it might be wrong, but I wanted to explore it with this group. And then say, I think we should use oak for our computer trees. Let's discuss. And see, that way, you put it out there as if the opinion itself is its own entity that is that can live or die on its own merits instead of being tied to you. Um, and you allow the group to kind of... Uh, this is a weird psychological phenomenon, but I think when you tell people that you're about to offer a counter-argument or something, they they like emotionally prepare to receive it instead of like receiving a baseball bat to the head, you know? Yeah. Like you're placing it in their hands instead of hitting them with it. Yeah. Made of oak. Yeah. From the computer trees. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I feel like I'm not given concrete chances to improve. I'm just reading the question. It's very demotivating. So maybe the, the, the manager isn't explicitly giving you context to to change stuff and it's kind of on your own is that what that means do you think uh can you repeat that maybe it didn't make any sense and i'll say a different thing instead (laughs) i'm just reading the question again giving giving opinions more and voicing them more there's also the the part about um 
being demotivated by the feedback and and also by not feeling like they have time or or the or the room to improve i'm not given concrete chances to improve i yeah that i'm not quite clear on that but these aren't the kind of chances that managers stand around like handing out you know they kind of happen uh spuriously you know what i mean yeah yeah they they do i i i do see the way I do see how it could be demotivating to get feedback that you're not sure how to apply to, to, to be told you are doing this thing wrong and not feel like you have steps or a plan mm. to rectify it. Maybe that's what they're getting at a little bit. And that's something you can address with your manager too. You gave me this feedback, help me practice it. Maybe we could practice it right here in, in a one-on-one or a meeting. Maybe you could help uh, oh kind of provide some support in meetings. So... Um, if I'm a little tentative or not speaking up enough, you could help the group listen, or you could help encourage me. But I think part of the responsibility of giving constructive feedback of saying, here's an area you need to improve in is, is also saying, and here's how I can help you and support you in that. Yeah. And I think if you're a manager and you approach someone and say, you need to speak up more in meetings, uh, at that point, you need to switch to encouragement mode. I mean, you clearly have a person who doesn't feel comfortable doing that and so the last thing you want to do is say wait a minute you need to have more two-way conversations like no i as a manager if you're going to coach someone to speak up get them to speak up okay are all of their opinions going to be brilliant no you know are they going to always say the perfect thing no but the goal is to get them to speak up enough that they can start to practice it and get better and if you in the middle of that feedback cycle turn around and say well now you're talking too much um i mean you're just crushing that person so i I think yeah. I think maybe your manager has made a bad call here in the feedback that they've given you. Yeah, it, it's not like a batting average where it's like how many good opinions did you have divided by how many total opinions did you have. It's it's there's value in speaking up and working through mm-hmm. these ideas, even if they're not the direction you end up going. Yes, so. absolutely. Exploring dead ends is just as valuable in some cases as exploring the, the final solution because you need to be able to understand why we didn't go down certain pathways, you know? Like, you have to explore them before you know whether you want to go down them. And wow, is it a lot easier to talk about stuff than go off and build it for six months and then find out <laughs> it was wrong. Oh. <laughs> so much easier. Hmm, well, have we given satisfactory answers to this question? I don't know. I feel like maybe you need to speak up a little more, Jameson, but also allow for two-way conversation. Let me turn on my Batman voice and go (laughs) beat the crap out of you. One second. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Threats of violence. Question answered. (laughs) Where can people go? I would never do that to you. And also, you're a lot bigger than I am. So (laughs) you might might win. (laughs) You'll never know until you explore that pathway. We'll just have to try it. (laughs) <laughs> i'm also pretty cowardly though so if you if you make the first strike you'll probably win you're saying i could just intimidate you and not have to get away with violence yes i will probably run okay well if you want to hear more like blow by blow accounts of dave and i physically fighting <laughs> <laughs> or if you want your own questions answered you can go to softskills.audio click the ask a question button to submit a question we really appreciate them. We learn and discuss from, we discuss from them. We learn from them and we z- discuss each one. We're getting to them. We will get to yours and we really appreciate it. 
Also, while you're there, you could click on support the show and, and head over to Patreon and consider donating if you want to. And if, uh, if you like it, just keep listening and tell other people about it. That's a, another great way to support it. Cool. All right. Catch you next week.